2: Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Geoffrey Hart, aka Geoffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to Building Sustainability This is episode number 64 and again we are with John Butler. Uh, This time we are talking about natural materials, specifically straw. So just released last week is the EPD, the Environmental Product Declaration for the Straw Bale. Um, So we get into the details of that, how it was calculated and what the results are and what they show. There are loads of graphs that go with this episode, and I've put them all on the Building Sustainability Podcast website, which is buildingsustainabilitypodcast.com. For your perusal, head to episode 64. You'll find them there. Um, so before I let you loose with the uh, the conduit of geek himself, I did promise a little update in the last episode. If you want to get straight to the straw episode, skip to about minute number eight, Um, So the Building Sustainability community on Facebook is growing nicely. Um, There are people joining in and asking questions, and we've already answered a few questions on there. Um, The idea for that was to create a space for people to be able to come and ask questions and give feedback uh, and generally connect with like-minded listeners. So if you would like to join the conversation, then search for building sustainability community in facebook Uh, i wanted to say the little tiny house update this episode is the first one being recorded in the tiny house it is definitely not done yet Uh, and my in by christmas hopes are feeling a little a little tight now but um, i think in some sense i will be living in here because it is very very cold in the caravan but where am I? Um, I am finally inside. I am currently, which is pretty fitting considering the last episode, I'm fitting the air tightness membrane, uh, ventilation, and a final few bits of insulation. So, um, yeah, today I have been fitting cork boards onto the ceiling. Um, these cork boards are covering all of my joists to stop any of the thermal bridging. Incidentally, if you don't know what a thermal bridge is, uh, there's a link to John's blog in uh, the show notes. He has got an excellent uh, description of what it, what are thermal bridges and why it's important to minimise them. Um, on the airtightness, I have unfortunately realised a slight mistake on my part. So in the house is a roundwood chestnut frame and I realised too late that I should have run the airtightness membrane behind the timber because what I'm noticing is as the chestnut is drying it's cracking and I have done air tightnessing to the timber so every time a little crack appears it sort of bypasses my my taping. Um, I have I've come up with a sort of semi solution to it which is uh, I'm just leaving the areas around the frame the roundwood frame with a, a little bit of trim that I can remove so as the the, fr- the frame cracks more i will go in and and splodge a bit of sort of masticy type stuff in there it, it's not the perfect solution uh because i will have to stay on top of it and i don't know if i'm ever going to get a perfect seal but it's a valuable lesson learnt, and i think that's only really the one place where i've i've sort of come a cropper so otherwise though it feels um feels really great to be working inside. Uh, I framed my bathroom and I've clad sort of two thirds of the wall. So it's starting to feel like a, a home now. And um, I also took myself down to the estate wood store last weekend uh, and picked out some beautiful, beautiful uh, plain timber. So the London plane tree uh, for my kitchen worktop. And I think I might use it in my, uh, my compost loo as well. It's very, very beautiful stuff. It kind of looks... I don't know it's almost like leopard print, uh, yeah, beautiful. There's pictures on my Instagram, Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Okay, what else to tell you? Uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. Uh, there is a link in the show notes. Um, we have had three new supporters since last episode, so that is Caro N. Does that mean Karen? I don't know. They have gone for the five pound level. So they are getting a hand carved wooden spoon. Emma Slow, who is a wonderful person that I know in real life, she has put the biggest contribution in yet. So I don't know, maybe I'm just going to send her a whole cutlery set. Uh, thank you, Emma. Um, and then Ben Owen is the final uh, supporter this week. Um, thank you so, so much to uh, to you three and indeed to everyone else that that supports the podcast um i did want to say that i don't know if it's obvious it probably is uh this podcast is a hundred percent independent and currently all the scheduling and research and recording and editing and promotion uh it's all done by me uh it's about four days work a month to release two episodes And then the costs of website hosting, recording software, editing software. I have a recording space at the moment while my house is being built. All of that comes down to uh, about £70 a month. And then the Patreon, uh, there is fees from the card companies and from Patreon, they take a uh, a cut, Um, all of which I just worked out gives me an hourly rate of £5 an hour before tax. Um, So if you would like to support, then uh, do follow the link to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. Uh, And why am I saying all of this now? Uh, Because my trusty old laptop that I do all my work for the podcast on just bit the dust and I've had to fork out for a new one. And my van has just got a blown head gasket. So that has also bitten the dust. So right now, I'm feeling the pinch. Um, Yeah. Thank you for listening to that. I'm sure it's not particularly interesting for you. Um, Right, what else? Uh, Feedback. I've had three bits of fantastic feedback. Uh, One Apple review review. Uh, which was titled fighting a clean fight against building homes that cost the earth yes thank you for that that went straight on the website Um, i got an email from james who said some lovely things about the podcast and about changing his career to becoming a natural builder absolutely do it james Um, and he also said this we visited the waste age exhibition recently after hearing about it on your show and it was, hands down, one of the best exhibitions we've ever been to, both in terms of the production of it, naturally, as well as the inspiring section at the end with all the emerging methods and technologies. I thought you might enjoy the feedback. I do, James. Thank you. So that was lovely. Very, very nice to uh, to hear, to receive that. And the final bit of feedback is is i just want to give a big shout out to gavin who's been judiciously listening through the entire back catalogue of building sustainability and giving a twitter review for every single episode he's a total hero and actually so much better at summarizing uh the podcast than i am so thank you so much all right okay i think that's quite enough of my voice i will hand you over to john um, I should say that you'll hear me pop up in the middle of the episode. John was mid-conversation trying to adjust his spreadsheet uh, to make something more clear. And as is often the case uh, when doing things under pressure, uh, he actually made it a bit worse. Um, so he sent me the exact text for me to, uh, to interject at the right moment. Uh, and the corresponding graphs, uh, which is on the website. I've already mentioned that. I'll mention that again. So... Enjoy the episode, and I'll be back at the end. I have always struggled with what to call myself. Sort of eco-builder was sort of one that I touted for a bit. Uh, I just called myself a straw bale builder for a while, and then I stopped just building straw bales. And I sort of settled on natural builder, because natural seemed to differentiate me from that uh, you know, concrete and foam world. Uh, and then I was reading your, uh, your blog, Sorry. <laughs> the, fir- the first <laughs> one is uh, natural versus sustainable. Uh, th- you know, does natural mean sustainable? Uh, and now I don't know what to call myself.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I can only apologise. It's it's a really difficult one, and I struggle with it because natural materials is a really useful shortcut. People sort of have a pretty good idea what you mean if you talk about natural materials, yeah, with fibre or
2: grown, yeah,
3: grown or kind of dug from a small pit, I suppose, rather than a massive quarry, perhaps. Um, Yeah, but when you actually dig into what it means, it means very little very quickly because. Most of the things we call natural materials aren't really natural because even a straw bale, I love straw bale building, um, but it's not a natural thing. That didn't appear naturally, you know, it's a, it's a product of industrial agriculture. And then there are various mechanized processes that create the straw bale. That's not a natural thing. And the straw is a plant material, but is it, is that natural? I mean, it's such a vague term. I think that's like, and you can start kind of spiraling into a bit of a philosophical hole with it and kind of go, well, in a way, Everything mankind does is natural because we're part of nature. So then everything is natural. Build, you could say buildings and concrete are natural because they're just our version of making nests, perhaps. Um, yeah. so <laughs> it, so if you go down that extreme, everything is natural and then it's meaningless. Or if you start kind of trying to separate sort of man made from natural, that seems a bit artificial because. Again, we are part of nature, and I think it's really important that we don't see ourselves as separate from it. A lot of the problems we've got ourselves into are, I think, through that kind of separation or perceived separation between Mm -hmm. humans and nature, and we need the rest of the natural world to keep us alive, literally. Um, So I think either extreme you can go down and go, well, actually, then natural is meaningless. So I I get really frustrated because I am... Probably a bit pedantic, and it's the, the, the term natural materials. It's just, it's too, I was going to say too woolly, but that's an unintended pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's, it becomes vague very quickly, I think. And then, so yeah. then you start, but then you get to the, well, what do you call them? Do you call them sustainable materials? And I sort of try to do that, but then that's a movable feast. What, how do you define sustainability? And, I don't. I don't have an alternative. This is. I just. I've destroyed your self perception without giving you an alternative. And I can only mm.
2: apologise. Oh uh, yeah. Well, my next question is: What should I call myself? Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> A concerned builder. Though that sounds horrible. Um, I don't know. This is the problem. I mean, this is why I still sometimes default to using natural materials, although I sort of wince inwardly every time I do. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's why I called myself sustainability consultant because it's, it's again, vague, but it sort of covers... I think it puts me in less of a hole, potentially, than anything yeah. involving natural materials. I don't know. It's uh, Yeah, I don't have a good answer. I did have a conversation on Twitter that was... Some people proposed some good alternatives. I'll have to look it up and see what they were. But there were things like plant-based or low-impact is another potential one. But then again... I mean, the pro- any definition you come up with can be sort of pulled apart and used by people for greenwashing, I guess. Mm. But that's probably true of almost anything. So, is that relevant or not? I don't know. You just yeah. have to whatever you call it will have to tackle greenwashing.
2: And what does what does um, Craig White was calling his his straw stuff renewable materials, which is quite yeah interesting.
3: And then there is a sort of. You can get into renewable and rapidly renewable, which things like yeah. straw and hemp and anything that grows quickly, anything that's a, a sort of annual crop basically is rapidly renewable because it will grow, right. well, it won't grow back, but a new version of it will grow within a year and reabsorb some of the carbon emitted through, well, not reabsorb, absorb some carbon in equivalent amounts to the carbon emitted by producing it in the first place. Whereas trees are renewable but over a longer you know, decades at least sort of lifespan for usable timber. So then it takes longer for an equivalent amount of carbon to be absorbed through their growth. Um, I forgot what my point was, but
2: I think we're we're touting the idea that maybe i'm a rapidly renewable builder that
3: sounds like you could just be kind of <laughs> erased at the end of a project and a new it version does, of you will it? pop up
2: <laughs> which I, it has been attempted on a few occasions but <laughs>
3: i mean maybe that would be quite useful there would be a couple of you and you could just sort of get more rest in between projects or something
2: well i mean i would be happy to to drop the natural builder term because it does occasionally get confusing when uh the hashtag natural builder sometimes is used by the, the sort of vegan bodybuilders um, and so interesting so i occasionally will be sort of scrolling through and go well that's a that's an unlikely uh image uh, very muscly <laughs> be careful there. what
3: you search for definitely.
2: yeah but i also like to think that you know they're searching for it and finding some sort of mud and yeah. going,
3: what, what the hell is this? Definitely. I think it works both ways. But as as you were saying that, I just had the thought that really what we should be getting to the point is that you can just call yourself Builder yeah. and that can mean anything, but it, it, it would be nice. I know this is sort of slightly optimistic scenario, but it would be great if you get to the point where Builder just means somebody who builds, but inherently inherent in that is using materials that are as low impact as possible yeah we're not there yet <laughs> <laughs> but but maybe that maybe that will become the thing but yeah that doesn't help you now
2: no well that's all right i'll keep soldiering on them
3: i think you know just stick with natural builder everybody knows you as jeffrey the natural builder
2: yeah and I mean, it, it is I've a really useful shortcut it in my <laughs> in my, uh, <laughs> my whole demeanor
3: <laughs> there are worse things i mean my my many of my online presences are the woodlouse, which I was going to ask you about that, long and distant origins, but I'm sort of stuck with it now. And yeah. <laughs> I could, I could change it, but uh, it's fine.
2: Yeah. So, what's well, an online persona anyway?
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have an online persona, but like Persona's
2: my, the right, right, my, I mean? you know, Twitter handle.
3: handle and creative things are all under the woodlouse. Yeah, I think it came because I used to make pots. I was a potter. And I had a kiln that was fired with wood because at the time I'd convinced myself that was a sustainable thing because wood is renewable. I now yeah. know that's not really the case and that that huge amount of wood I was burning was still emitting quite a lot of carbon, huge amounts of carbon and a lot of particulates. And I wouldn't do that now. But mm. it it sort of came from, yeah, awareness of burning lots of wood, there being lots of wood lice in the wood piles all the time, so I kind of hung out with them. And as a kid, there were lots of wood lice growing, growing, living on mm-hmm. the walls of the downstairs living in my parents' house. So sort of, okay. I have this weird affinity with them. I think it's because they're, they're kind of happy to be on display some of the times and the rest of the time they might want to curl up into a ball. And I sort of, oh. I relate to that. I've, oh, uh, you're
2: adorable. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've just remembered the real origins of calling myself the woodlouse, which is way back at the very, very beginning of doing a ceramics degree. We had like the summer project to do before coming to the course to introduce ourselves to everybody. And we had to draw an animal from life that we thought represented our personality. So I think I chose wood lice partly on the reasons I've just said about being on display or curling into a ball and partly because they were readily available on the wall of said downstairs loo.
2: <laughs> you had
3: plenty of models. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it sort of came from
2: that and stuck. I, I mean, I think a lot of people in sustainability have bits that a second life for them. You know, so, so yours was a ceramicist.
3: Yes, for a number of years. I'm trying to remember how many... About a decade, I guess about yeah. a decade, including kind of studying as well. Yeah, doing wood-fired ceramics, so a big sort of tunnel-shaped kiln um, where you had a big fire at one end and the flames went through the pots and you got very particular effects on the pots from the way the flames reacted with the clay and ash that sort of got pulled in and melted and sort of formed a glaze. And it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's very kind of elemental... It's, well, I say it's a lot of fun. It's one of those, at moments in the firing, it will be amazing. At moments, you'll be completely in a pit of despair because you've had no sleep and the thing won't get to temperature and you're running out of wood. So it's it's always been a bit of a journey, um, <laughs> as they say. But yeah. I wouldn't do it like that now. I might someday get back to making pots, not as a main thing, but as a, just a thing that is enjoyable. But I would never burn several tonnes of wood a time to create the pots, because I know too much now, basically. I'm the same with wood stoves. I love wood (laughs) stoves. But we've got one here that we do still light sometimes because essentially this house just needs a bit of extra heat sometimes. But I definitely wouldn't build anything with a stove in ever now, and I try to avoid lighting the stove here as much as possible.
2: Yeah, I'm in a, a difficult situation with mine. I've just put a wood stove in, but I've also put underfloor heating in. Okay, Um, And I know combustion bad, you know, I know burning wood is not not a good thing, but I'm about to go live off grid in the woods, surrounded by wood, uh, with, you know, I can't really do electric heating on my budget yet, you know, maybe over a few years I'll be able to scale up and, you know, have enough energy generation. Uh, But... It's it's way too expensive at the moment. So you know, I'm sort of future proofing. Like I imagine the the underfloor heating will sit there redundant for you know, many <laughs> years. But um, yeah, at some point I'll flick that switch and it'll be glorious. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and in the meantime, you'll have a lovely time with your wood burner. I mean, yes, it will a be lovely. Pleasure. Yeah, I think if you kind of. I mean, that might be the sort of situation where it's more justifiable if you're sort of using wood that's just going to be rotting into the ground anyway, so that carbon will still be emitted and hopefully it's being regenerated quite quickly. Coppice is sort of probably your best bet in mm. terms well, of that's
2: what I want to speedily renewable
3: timber, but that's mm. that works in small scales. That's absolutely not kind of scalable to a... To any kind of large scale that there just isn't space for everybody to fuel their house with cop rapidly rapid rotation coppice and there would be air quality issues if they did kind of thing so it's it's you know there's no single solution that works for everybody
2: yeah don't i know it
3: (laughs) (laughs) plus you've got the weight issue with yours so you can't just beef up the insulation so much because
2: no the base will collapse Yeah, well, and I've got a very limited, like, to make it road legal, it has to be 2.4 metres wide. Right. So I am, um, you know, if I want to live in a very thin corridor, <laughs> uh, I could beef up the insulation. but That would be sad. It would, wouldn't it? So, yeah, it's finding that. i going for, I've gone for 150 mil, so 100 mil of, of stud and then 50 mil of cork uh, to, to cover all the thermal bridges. Brilliant. And that is that's a lot of insulation for a tiny house. Most yes. are only a hundred mil, you know, stud frame. Yeah, you'll be cozy. I think so. I mean, it's. I was rapidly trying to work out like what my heating uh, calculation was from your uh, your passive house numbers earlier. Ah. it's like what's my square <laughs> Um But uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be all right, and I'll only fire the stove occasionally.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, my sister lived in caravans for a while and we've had this ongoing thing that she likes the situation where you have the wood burner raging and it's really hot and you're there in a t-shirt with all the windows open and I'm going, no, (laughs) that's exactly what, that's not good, that's all that heat being wasted, you could have much less heat and be more comfortable
2: yeah i mean that's every boat along the canal yes
3: Uh, yes yes yes. Uh, other sister has lived on canal boats for quite a lot they're similar in fact they both have for a bit and uh, they're lovely i mean i met the canal boats but my sisters are lovely too (laughs) (laughs) i keep digging myself into holes
2: (laughs) You're, you're doing you're doing great don't worry um let's go uh we were talking about renewable materials yes <clears throat> so that's you know uh rapidly renewable materials and straw is kind of the uh probably the one that i think well certainly i love the most um i don't want to speak for you but you're nodding.
3: <laughs> i love all my children but possibly straw the most
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you've just done some work uh making an epd
3: yes or I wasn't making the EPD, but I did some of the initial gathering of data that then was sent to the people who did actually build the EPD. And I've been okay. involved with kind of coaxing the process along and getting everybody to do the bits that they need to do. And
2: You're with the stick. I'm
3: kind of, yeah, I'm trying to be gentle with the stick because mm-hmm. I think this EPD has taken... I mean, they I think they always take a very long time to... To make I think this one's probably taken longer because more of us involved in it had never done anything like it before. So there's mm. been a lot of very patient professionals who've put up with us essentially yeah. <laughs> taking a long time. I should say EPD is environmental environmental products declaration, which is sort of the official means of quantifying various environmental impacts
2: yes so regular listeners to the podcast will know uh the clay works we spoke to them about their their EPD just when it came out so. yeah
3: I was really pleased to see them having done that basically because yeah. there's sometimes with the uh, I'm struggling not to say natural materials now but there's <laughs> a lot of natural materials haven't got EPDs yet although the 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 exception to that is uh, a lot of wood fiber board manufacturers have got really good EPDs to the point that they have a different one for each of the different variations of their product. And I think a number of different manufacturers have done that, which is brilliant because you can Mm -hmm. quantify things. Mm -hmm. So the straw bale one came about through the Upstraw project, which is this EU, try not to sob EU project. Um, that we were still part of when we were still part of the EU and were allowed to stay part of until it ended. Um <coughs> funded by Interreg and now that project has pretty much come to an end and that mm. source of funding has probably dried up. But it was in the UK organised by SBUC, I believe, and SNAB the School of Natural Building and
2: Yeah, they were the School of Natural Building were, were lead partners.
3: Yeah. So I, I was involved through through them, through School of Natural Building, as officially an external expert, which is a title I love, although it's deeply inaccurate. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice <laughs> having a job title temporarily that actually calls you expert, regardless of reality. Um, but So I, I was doing various things, sort of looking at existing research into various aspects of straw and trying to sort of summarise that, like looking at thermal conductivity and structural loading which is the structural loading that's probably most where i was out of my comfort zone because i'm not a structural engineer but mm-hmm. also part of it was trying to gather data to create this epd because they had funding for all the all the countries in the upstraw project to get an epd for straw um, oh, so
2: each country has an ep yes i didn't i thought so it's not a global no straw. so this is a uk okay.
3: specific one and then this is where I should be able to remember all the other countries involved in Upstal, and I can't. There's France, Belgium, Germany, the UK. Who have I forgotten? I think there's another two countries. Sorry, those two countries. Um, but all of them have got Netherlands and somebody else. Um, they've we've there's a, an EPD for each of them. I think in the end, we all went for just the. Environmental impact of the straw itself, there was sort of some early sort of drafts, EPDs done on different construction build ups. But because everybody uses straw slightly differently and there are lots of different ways of using it, rather than having it being essentially a really detailed thing that can only be used if you build in exactly the same way, we've all gone for using the straw because then you can do a whole life carbon assessment of the whole building and you factor in all the other materials depending on what else you've used with the straw so Mm -hmm. it was just knowing what the environmental impact of the straw itself was that was important and most broadly applicable i guess so we we started off trying to contact straw farmers or you know (laughs) they don't farm straw but farmers who (laughs) produce straw as a co-product um to sort of get information from them about what their fuel use was and fertiliser use. And understandably, we had very few responses because Mm. farmers are incredibly busy, even when there isn't a pandemic on and things are a bit weird for everybody. So we didn't get many responses. And then I sort of realised what I should have started at, which is government data, because they annually do massive surveys of farmers and get much more responses because it's a more official thing. And it sort of all ties in, I guess, with funding for farming and just the the way it happens is they're more likely to get responses and they've got the scale to do that and I can't, I can't remember the number of responses they get but it's I think it's like ten tens tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands okay
2: that seems that's, like a fairly good that's time.
3: again a big range between tens mm. and hundreds but they they, they get a lot of, it,
2: it's a it's much more than one or two really, yes it? exactly like- <laughs> it's a
3: much bigger pool of data so it's more accurate essentially whereas we yeah. would have had sort of data from five or six people who probably are a bit more careful about how they do things anyway kind of thing yes so my job was to plow through the government spreadsheets extracting the things like how much fertilizer is used for different crops annually how much pesticides uh different types of pesticides and then work that out per yield of straw and grain and then look up kind of pricing data which thankfully again the government keep a good record of and then sent that to the people who were doing the lifecycle analysis in the EPDs, who, they have a big database, which sort of has likely impacts of everything. And then they had to painstakingly take the numbers I'd put and plug replace the sort of defaults in the database with the actual information about how much fertilizer and all of that. And then that is allocated between the wheat, which is the thing that, the farmers are wanting essentially you know they're growing straw for the for the grain not just wheat but wheat is the most commonly grown one there's more of it grown than the other grains and its yield is higher so it tends to be what's most readily available in terms of straw but anyway they want the Mm. grain they do sell the straw as well so that's sort of an added bonus for them but you know the grain is where most of the money is essentially. So the, the environmental impacts are allocated between the grain and the straw depending on cost essentially. It's, you could do it, I guess, by mass of the two different ones. There's an argument for that, but it's the idea of allocating them via the economic value is that it's sort of, it's a way of accounting for what the kind of how to put it, what the point of the impact was, you know, like this the, the reason for the straw existing is because of the grain. So, yeah. most of the environmental impact goes to the grain, and then some of it goes to the straw. Mm, I think yeah. there, there have been some previous calculations, sort of done quite roughly, where they just assumed all the impact of growing the grain was belonging to the grain, and the only impacts that you gave to the straw were the things to do with removing it from the field. Because that's, you sort of say it's a waste material, so therefore everything up to that point isn't part of it. Which, yeah.
2: it's a different thinking, isn't it? It's sort of co product versus waste. Or product. Yeah. yeah. And it's,
3: it is, it's, it gets a bit sketchy, I think, if you just kind of ignore everything that's happened to produce this thing. So this doesn't do that. This does take account of some of the production of the straw, of the grain itself, which does mean the sort of resulting embodied carbon figure is a lot higher than the figure that people have been using for a while now, but it's yeah. still, it's it's a more reliable figure, which I think is, is really important, and it's more justifiable because we've got the evidence to back it up, and it does include some of the impact of the fertilisers and the uh, pesticides and fuel use in yeah. driving machines around this field for a year kind of thing.
2: I'm sort of interested because straw isn't a product and you've got a product declaration about straw yeah so does it become a product when it's put in a bale and how do you account for the differences in you know bale tension and uh, yeah whether it's wheat or it's barley or
3: this is specifically i think this is specifically wheat straw Actually, no, I don't think it is. I think they do, they accounted for the impacts of the varying impacts of wheat and barley and potentially oats, but mainly wheat and barley. And then again, within that, the environmental impacts are kind of allocated by the proportion of each that's grown. I think I'd have to, I need to double check exactly what happened there. But yeah, there was. They factored in both and then sort of allocated apportioned the environmental impacts according to something relevant. <laughs> he says quite vaguely, but it's yeah it's been con- both have been considered, but in any e p d there's a certain amount of averaging that happens all of these things there's a certain amount of you know this is a representative sample i mean I guess in a in a more homogeneous product. Then maybe it's more consistent. But I think even mm-hmm. within the sort of raw material streams for almost anything, there's some variation depending on exactly where it comes from. Um, if it's wood fiber, it'll be exactly which forest it comes from, exactly what the growing seasons were like, you know, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's always some variety. So it's an attempt at sort of ironing out averages, I guess. So there will be some vari- variation. But the key thing is they always state your assumptions. In almost anything, so that you can see what it's planned on. So it's it's based on a density of hundred kilos per cubic meter. I think of straw. Uh, uh-huh. So either whether that's loose straw or bale, whether that's loose straw packed into a building or as a bale, uh-huh. if it's about a hundred kilos per cubic meter, which is again a sort of good average for where construction straw should be, ideally if it isn't when you start off with a loose bale, by the time you've retied it and got it as a sort of much tighter bale or compressed it into the wall, it should be around about 100. Some will be a bit denser, some will be a bit less dense. But as an average figure, it's based on that, basically. Um, so you could use – if you knew that your wool was at a different density of straw, you could adjust the figures by a uh, yeah. factor oh, because, yeah. because you know it's based on 100 kilos – you could kind of work back from that to... Basically, if you divide the figures from the EPD, which are for one cubic metre by 100, that will give you the figure per kilo, and then you can multiply that again by how many kilos of straw you work out you've got and your density. So the, the key thing is, by having those factors in there, it's transferable. You can adapt it to whatever your actual situation is. So it's an average, but with the means to tweak that to your own ends, not own ends, but you know, your own circumstances. That's what I mean. Yeah. So it is, it is a, it is a, a, an inherently fluffy, literally fluffy product, but um, (laughs) it's sort of quantifying that as best that you can. So it's, it's, and doing it by cubic meter means it isn't just based on a bale, which can obviously vary significantly in size and density. It's just a cubic meter at this density. This is the probable environmental impact. And Got you. the 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 I guess the issue with allocating by economic value is that that will change annually, essentially. You know, the how much grain costs, how much straw costs varies a lot depending on the weather, frankly, or the the, mm. the sort of prevailing climate conditions in any given year, because there have been a few really bad harvests in the last few years which have pushed the price of straw up. But I guess they've probably pushed the price of grain up, so maybe the difference between them is the same I do not I d I don't I don't know. But, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a snapshot of the impact of straw now, but it's only valid for four years. This is the crucial thing. EPDs are valid for, is it four years or five years? One of those. Um, in fact, I've probably got the EPD open and it will tell me what the expiry date is. So work it out from that. It's five years. <laughs> <laughs> 2001, no, not 2001, 2021 to 2026. So in five years' time, it would need renewing. Right, um, to still be valid, things
2: would be be consistent. Well, you'd assume that things would be slightly different, then. yeah.
3: Way. So, and it, it, yeah. the idea is, in five years, and this applies to any EPD. Uh, there, and you have to check whether things are the same or not, basically. And mm-hmm. hopefully, some of your impacts have got less because that's the way things should be moving generally. But they might not have. But it's yeah. it's factored in, so you sort of assume that it's going to be roughly right for five years, and then. Hopefully, someone will find funding to have it updated in five years' time.
2: (laughs) Not, not European funding.
3: No, sadly.
2: Well, maybe we'll be back in uh, in the European Union. Who
3: knows? That would be nice. (laughs)
2: Um, So, um, so what's the what's the magic uh, number?
3: Well, this uh, what do you call the magic number? So, there was the figure that was used a lot before was I think it was zero point zero one kilograms of carbon emitted per kilogram of straw and this came from the ice database the inventory of carbon and energy who have done you know they did amazing work collecting lots of data from lots of different places but the data for straw just frankly wasn't very good and that's that's Mm -hmm. not their fault that's just the data wasn't out there so there's there is this 0.01 kilograms of carbon per kilogram of straw and that's that's cradle to gate, so that's production of the straw. So it's not looking at the whole lifespan, it's just looking at... there. Uh, when you look at life cycle analysis and EPDs, there are different life cycle stages which go from A to C. And A is basically making the thing, getting it out of the factory and putting it into a building. B is use of the building so that might be replacement of things it might be the operational energy depending which sub category of b you're into and c is end of life which is what happens to it when you knock the building down and dispose of the thing so cradle to gate is basically stages a1 to a3 which is manufacturing and getting them out of the factory Uh it's not the transport from the factory it's literally everything up to leaving the factory so they're, gate. They're
2: stacked in a pallet
3: Yeah, factory yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So the factory gate. Yeah, absolutely. So the 0.01 figure was the cradle to gate figure. And I'm just looking at my spreadsheet now cause, to see what I titled up for the equivalent. And it would be significantly higher. 0.13, rounding it up, kilograms of carbon emitted per kilogram of straw. So that is an awful lot higher than we've previously been sort of claiming straw is essentially, which is partly why it's Mm. really good to get reliable information because now we know what it actually is. Um, What would have been really handy is if I had set up some handy comparisons to tell you what that relates to in terms of anything else. Mm. Um, And I did mean to do that.
2: You've got some in on your uh, website.
3: They'll be out of date now. Oh. (laughs) Because they'll have used the old figure. No, I did do... Let me find it. I did have a look at this yesterday. Right. So I looked at complete wall build-ups, comparing straw bale with the new straw bale info with a wall built with cellulose and eye joists, cellulose fibre and eye joists, and one built with sort of eye joists and mineral wool. And that's sort of looking at the complete everything in the wall the straw bale wall theoretically has clay plaster on the inside based on that marvelous clayworks epd and mm-hmm. lime render on the outside and there's a bit of an allowance for the amount of timber that's often used in kind of load-bearing straw bale construction yeah uh, sort of assuming a two-story construction averaged across a meter square of wall um the i joist one with a cellulose eye joist wall, so timber eye joists, OSB and plasterboard on one side, wood fiber and lime plaster again on the outside.
2: So cellulose is... is...
3: It's recycled newspaper currently. Okay, so it's Amazingly, still a, it's still a
2: natural still... product.
3: Well, is it? <laughs> oh. oh, no. Only newspapers, <laughs> They old, don't, they don't grow hurts. on trees. I mean, their raw material <laughs> is trees, but they don't, you know. Anyway... Cellulose fibre is recycled newspapers. Amazingly, there is still apparently enough newspaper generated. People are still reading newspapers enough to generate masses of waste newspaper, which is sort of mushed up into this light, fluffy stuff and treated with something to stop it going mouldy and being flammable. And its I've seen kind of slightly terrifying... But amazing demonstrations on youtube of people with a, a bundle of cellulose fiber in their hand and a blowtorch and not burning their hand <laughs> because wow. it's because it's well insulated and don't try this at home it's well insulated and non-flammable so it's it's brilliant mm. stuff as well i think it's probably my second favorite thing after straw bale
2: yeah it's it's not quite as as fluffy as uh as a straw bale building yeah so like the the mainstream can uh, can get involved and and don't feel like it's too different
3: yeah and it, it's people are somehow more used to building things and then blowing insulation into them a bit more than they are to building the straw i think so mm. it sort of opens that up
1: we'll be back after a quick break
2: hey there i'm mick from the mick and pat show that's right and i'm pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with the old friends well you're in luck we're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Bing bong. John's email says, John says, John says, he shouldn't try to update a spreadsheet while recording a podcast. And the actual results show a six-kilogram difference between one meter squared of straw bale wall and cellulose wall of similar construction. And that the accurate chart is on the Building Sustainability Podcast website. I'm just going to add to that. I'm looking at the charts now. We can see that straw bale I-joist comes in at about thirty-nine kilograms of CO two emitted per square meter. The cellulose I joist comes in at 45 kilograms of CO2 per square meter, and the mineral wall I joist comes in at lo- looks like about 52 kilograms of CO2 emitted per meter squared of wall. Whew. It is harder to say than it is to understand from the very clear charts that are on the website. So head to building sustainability com and have a little look. Bing bong!
3: And this is looking at the whole life cycle, so it includes what happens at the end of life. I think it's assuming roughly one percent of either of them is landfilled, the rest is either incinerated or recycled, because from an LCA perspective, for this building it makes no difference, it's all cast as emitted. because otherwise you could say, oh, I'm recycling it at the end of life, and avoid a whole load of theoretical carbon emissions but then the next Go building ahead. is saying we've got recycled materials here so just to sort of balance the equation you kind of say it's been emitted and also then it's a worst case scenario calculation because yeah you don't really know what anyone's going to do at the end of life of this building you might fully intend that everything is recycled but someone might come along and burn it all so you sort of you, you say it's all been emitted yeah the difference between landfill and incineration being that In landfill, you might get anaerobic decomposition, which produces methane, which is a more potent greenhouse gas. So that percentage is crucial. Used to say 25, this is a slight tangent. I'll come back to the thing in a minute. Um, Used to say 25% of sort of timber and natural materials was landfilled. But I'm now putting in 1% based on... I can't remember exactly who published it. There was a new thing by the Tim- Timber Trade Federation, perhaps. I think Jane Anderson was involved in writing it. Who's very experienced LCA expert, um, and she looked at where the timber actually goes at end of life and what is really happening. And basically, the sort of there's much more detailed information in there. It's well worth going and looking at. But the sort Great. of very simplified version is only one percent of it is going to landfill. So I've reduced that. But that's taking into account that the the thermal conductivity of straw is higher, so it's less insulating. Yeah. So you need more of it to achieve the same level of insulation as the eye joist okay. um, with the cellulose. So it, it's...
2: And did you say you compared that with um, like a mineral wool as well?
3: And yeah, so mineral wool, it's impacts in terms of raw material resource use is much higher because it's all virgin material if it's glass mineral wool then there's a lot of recycled glass got into it but still a lot of energy mm-hmm. to turn that into glass mineral wool but yeah it's it's it is basically rock that's melted and heated and spun which is it's a lot of extraction there's a lot of energy it comes with the caveat that the straw bale it's also complicated um There are different Mm. versions of the EN standard that EPDs are issued under. The straw bale one is issued under the very latest one, which accounts for carbon in a slightly different and more thorough way. So it looks, it separates out biogenic carbon, which is your stored carbon from fossil fuel carbon and land use carbon. So the carbon impact of changes in land use. And I think it's brilliant that these are now being factored in. The mineral one predates that as does the cellulose one. So essentially, they're potentially slightly less accurate, but they were very accurate for where they were at the time kind of thing. But just yeah. once they've all been updated, probably then the standard will change again. But in in theory, eventually, all these EPDs will be a version under the same standard and be more comparable. So there's that caveat to the results. But yeah, so carbon-wise, similar. Resource use, mineral wool, a lot higher. And a key thing is the carbon storage side of things, where basically most of the emissions for the straw bale are from from end of life, because there's a lot of carbon stored in that straw bale. So the life cycle emissions look quite high because all that stored carbon is released at the end of life. Um, so it, you know that has to balance out, but it does mean if your buildings last longer, you're keeping that carbon stored for a long time which is a potentially beneficial thing i'm wary of kind of putting too much focus on carbon storage and materials because it can encourage you to use more material than you need to which in reality is still leading to more impact because there is there's an impact now from producing even straw so you should still use as little as possible within creating enough of a structural insulating impact sort of thing but that storage is useful particularly if you build buildings at last a long time it's like a carbon buffer essentially it slows down its release whereas the mineral wool there's no carbon storage essentially there is in the timber that's containing the mineral wool in your walls but the mineral wool itself is it has no carbon storage so those emissions are just emissions and they've all happened now whereas with the straw the biggest proportion of those emissions happens at end of life so if you can stop that building having an end of life essentially or at least yeah. prolong it then there's a benefit and similar with cellulose it's it doesn't store as much as straw so there are these other areas where the, the benefits come in so the carbon is crucial and important but you can't look just at that yeah. all of which started for me trying to find something to compare the straw kilograms of carbon per kilogram with but it's, this is the thing it's it is complicated doing kind of sensible meaningful sustainability comparisons gets really complicated quite quickly because there are so many factors
2: mm. and
3: inevitably you end up focusing on one but the the picture is so much more complicated than that
2: Well it does sound like uh you know the iterations just in the EPDs are taking in more you know more factors now so, yes you know, we are we are heading toward it because EPDs are a relatively new thing, aren't they?
3: I yeah, I don't know how long they've been around. There's, I mean, some of them literally look quite old. There's like some of them are ancient PDFs that appear to be a sort of slightly scrappy scanned thing. But most of them, you know, there's a lot more more recent ones that you can like actually a sort of read and piece copy of paper
2: and, with, yeah.
3: with ears and- <laughs> that kind of thing. That you can, <laughs> but now you can copy and paste them out of it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a rapidly growing. Field more and more people are realising that they need them. They're still, frankly, quite expensive to produce, which I think is a barrier, barrier, isn't it? It is a barrier, particularly for smaller scale things. And this straw EPD was only possible because of the upstore funding. And I don't know what will happen in five years when to get it renewed and updated will cost. I don't know what it will cost, but I would say several thousand Mm -hmm. pounds. To go through the update process and then the verification process, but that verification is really important because that's somebody external checking your figures basically and going, "Yeah, that's right," or "No, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. you
3: need to adjust that. You've got that wrong," and that's really important. I and
2: mean, that, that's sort of the basis yeah. of science. Isn't there it? are yeah.
3: there are some things floating around in the internet that sort of call themselves EPDs, but when you look closely, they haven't been externally verified, so they're not actually an official EPD. And it's always yeah. worth checking. That it says on the front page that they're verified and who buy, so that's always yeah. really worth looking for. but yeah, the standard that they're defined by is is improving, and they are including these more more detailed factors. they're breaking things down into more helpful things, and also I think the new standard there were there used to be more exemptions where you could get out of looking at the whole life cycle and you could just look at that cradle to gate phase. And mm-hmm. there, there are some circumstances now where you can still do that, but they're much reduced. So more and more products, if they have an EPD, it will have to look at the whole life, which is really important because often it is at the end of life where there are big impacts, particularly yeah. with actually with the more natural, for want of a better word, still materials. <laughs> yeah, for plant based materials. Then <laughs> your biggest impact is usually at the end of life because that's when all yes. that stored carbon is released. But that isn't to say yeah. there isn't still an impact of producing the thing it's where people get into a sort of tangle with timber particularly and kind of saying we need to build with more and more timber because it's storing carbon and it is um but so's the tree (laughs) i mean so it's storing carbon (laughs) much more effectively as a tree and probably the ground around it is also storing carbon so there's that land use change when you cut the tree down which will release more carbon so there's always a carbon impact to building with anything even if it's a carbon storage material and so with with timber it's sort of particularly stark that sort of it's definitely better than concrete by a long shot but only if you only use the minimum amounts to achieve what you need kind of thing you can't solve the climate crisis by cutting down more trees and putting them into buildings other people have put that more eloquently but that's the sort of gist of it, it just yeah yeah it doesn't work <laughs> just just on a purely <laughs> math basis it doesn't it doesn't work and that, that's you know that, maths having right. a horrible real world implications
2: so we know that, that straw is it, you know it's now a very uh calculated here you know, we know how good it is well, the sort of big concerns with straw other than you know at the, the sort of user end of you know fire rodents mold is is there enough are we growing enough straw you know if we wanted to build houses out of it and are we impacting other things
3: yes and yes (laughs) 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 the unhelpful answer um yeah we are there is enough there's frankly huge amounts um which i will quantify shortly yeah but there this sort of comes back to the thing a bit of whether straw is a waste material or not um, and it it isn't, well, certainly in the UK it isn't, because pretty much all the straw that's produced, well actually a, a large proportion of straw that's produced is sold off farm, meaning you know, it's sold away from the farm of origin. Some of the straw that isn't sold is just ploughed back in, some of it is used on the farm of origin, but the point is there's an awful lot of straw which is currently sold and is currently used by someone. So it's yeah. it is essentially a product that there is already demand for. So using it for straw bale building is another demand on the same resource in some ways.
2: So by by building a house you are taking the straw from someone who's got horses and needs it for uses yeah, it for bedding.
3: That kind of thing. So yeah, you're you're yeah. competing for the straw. But mm-hmm. that said, there is still a huge amount. So I, I tried to sort of look at a conservative estimate of how many houses you could build using a small amount of that straw and where you could take that from. Basically what I looked at was looking at the straw sold away from the farm of origin. So anything that's used on that farm or ploughed back in where I'm sort of not even looking at saying they need that, they use that. Mm -hmm. You could potentially take more of that straw that's being ploughed in, but actually there's a benefit to the soil. It improves the soil quality it displaces some fertilizer use by plowing it back in and potentially it's storing carbon in the soil um, <clears throat> so just looking at the straw sold off farm and then just looking at 5% of that so of all the straw that is sold away from the place it was generated, what how much could be billed using just 5% of that which sort of seemed like a conceivable amount that you could sort of take away from other uses without having a massive impact i mean it could could change a lot because the the biggest proportion of that sold off farm is 36 percent of it goes to feed and bedding for animals and i would just hope that frankly there'll be less of that kind of animal agriculture over time because that has a very large Mm -hmm. carbon imprint can impact even you know completely aside from any welfare issues and so That might change, so that might be another use. But I've sort of shaved a little bit off straw sold for other purposes, which is a very vague term from the government data, and straw (laughs) sold for bedding. So I've taken 2.5% off each of those, which seems totally achievable to give this 5%. And I think 5% figure came from upstraw. It's what some of the other countries were looking at. What could they do with 5% of the available straw? Um, So hopefully we can build even more of than this. But basically, the long and the short of it is yeah. that amounted to 38,900 three-bed, semi-detached houses built of straw a year using just 5%, which is a very conservative amount. And we don't build yeah. that many houses out of straw. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many we build the, <laughs> annually in the UK, but it isn't many still. You might have more of an idea of that.
2: No. Um... I mean, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it wouldn't no, be 100 a I year, would, I don't think. Yeah. ten I mean, a year? Think about all the people doing yeah. the little build.
3: Somewhere between 10 and 100 Maybe. is a mad, mad guess. Yeah. The, there is a database now of, ideally, all the straw bale houses in Europe, which is another product of Upstraw. I can't remember the website, but if you Google it, it should come up somewhere. It's on the, actually, that's on the, it's on the European Straw Bale Association's website. It's housed on the European Straw Bale Association's website. Yeah. But it that doesn't show that many buildings in the UK that would indicate sort of a hundred no. a year, but that's partly because there's a lot of buildings that people haven't put forward to put on it. So there's yes. also a plea there. If you have a straw building, contact ESBA and get your building put on there so we know how many there are. Yes. It can be anonymized, I think.
2: It uh, it was I mean it's fairly obvious from my quick sort of perusal that uh Definitely, Barbara Jones had put all of her buildings yeah. in there, and and it sort of looks like no one else has built anything, which is
3: definitely not the case. But we did ask them, but they didn't all get back to us. I think is the situation. So please, people, yeah. put them on there. But is you know everyone is insanely busy, so getting time to kind of write down the details of these things and put them in a spreadsheet and send them to someone to put the thing. <laughs> I don't. You know, I know why it doesn't happen, <laughs> but it would be great. But yeah, so I'll. The conservative estimate is many, many times more houses than we currently build. There's enough straw. The The issue seems to be getting hold of it slightly perversely. There's loads of straw there, but there are supply chain issues. Um, there isn't a supply chain, I guess, is the issue. It's It's still mostly individual people going and talking to farmers or...
2: Yes. And the farmer kind of chuckling and going, oh, that's a new one. Yeah.
3: And trying to persuade them to put their baler on the maximum tension because it makes better bales, whereas they don't want to because it can shorten the life of their baler if it's quite an old one. Um, Yeah. That sort of thing. There are a couple of straw bale brokers who are better at getting the kind of construction-grade bales, but they might not be in your locality, so then you've got transport emission increases. But these should be... We can get over these problems. I think there are ways of establishing supply chains, but I think that's some work that could do with being done, basically, is to make it easier for people to access the straw and easier for the farmers to sell it to people who want to build. Yeah. I think you, you, you kind of need a system which involves as little time as possible for the farmer because they are amongst some of the busiest mm-hmm. people, Overworked probably. people, yeah. Yes, exactly. They, yes, they get grants and things, but they still work their is off, frankly. Yeah, you know, um, they don't have a lot of time for strolling around while you stick your fingers in a bale to see how <laughs> dense it is, yeah. which is what you need to do. So it's I mean, there's, there's got to be a way of kind of bridging that gap, and it needs to be as simple as possible. I think again, everything needs to be simplified to work. Mm-hmm. But there's a shed load of straw out there. Is the short answer? And,
2: and so, and how many houses? Uh, do you know, as a, a sort of country, how many houses are we building?
3: Oh, I did know this, and I've forgotten. I think it's it's the target is the target is something like somewhere between one and two hundred thousand new homes a year. I think what we're actually achieving is less than a hundred thousand new houses a year. Don't I mean? You will be quoting me on this because that's the point of the podcast. But <laughs> go away and somewhat check
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Um so yeah, but essentially, it's hundreds of thousands of houses are meant to be being built a year. Slightly less are being built. Yeah. Um, the the sort of, but I think yeah, we, we could contribute around kind of forty. to... I can't remember. I did work this out as well. Somewhere between twenty and forty percent of just the houses annually using just five percent of the available straw. So there's massive potential to scale up straw building. Basically, it's without taking much straw from other uses the key one i wanted to check actually was biomass because a couple of people had gone oh but actually it's all going to go to biomass there won't be any straw available and currently seven percent of the straw sold off farm is burnt in biomass generated in biomass electricity generation sorry that's what i mean when i say biomass um so it's a relatively small percentage to start with and you can get your five percent without touching that there's room for that to coexist
2: that was Judith Thornton's uh, concern when I right. spoke to her, right at the, almost at the beginning of the podcast, actually. She Excellent. was saying, well, you know, like they're building more, more straw-fired power stations, Yeah, so.
3: it could increase at the moment at 7% and it, that might increase. But I would I would hope that that would slowly be taken from straw for animal bedding, but we'll see what happens. And straw sold for other purposes, like 9% going to these mysterious other purposes. Yeah, MISC. Who knows? That's like couldn't be bothered to <laughs> categorize that far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is this is based on ten years of government data averaged to the annual amount. So sort of trying yeah. to trying to account for some of that seasonal variation which you get in the amount of straw rather than just sort of picking one year. Oh yeah. I, I got all their spreadsheets and averaged it over 10 years
2: crikey you've you've done a lot of spreadsheets
3: i've spent much more time in spreadsheets than i ever imagined (laughs) in the last few years my life
2: don't you just yearn for a a nice pot
3: (laughs) every now and again i've got music music keeps me sane basically just singing and playing and not thinking about spreadsheets for a bit when i'm having particularly intense bits of spreadsheety work i do occasionally have spreadsheet dreams which is Deeply oh, unpleasant. Goodness. Little boxes that you can't quite click in to get the formula to work properly, but like filling your entire field of vision. I don't recommend yeah.
2: it. Well, I've currently got the uh, airtightness dreams where oh, God. I'm just trying to seal seal <laughs> the building in every little corner oh. and like, it won't seal and you can't do it and yeah. Horrible. It's horrid, yeah. <laughs> just it's
3: that that thing of something that's that close to your face literally for hours at a time it Mm -hmm. just works its way into your consciousness like that it really does and (laughs) particularly airtight sealing is really you're right there yeah you're
2: trying to imagine yourself as air moving through
0: (laughs) in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer
2: Ah, oh, brilliant. Thank you, John, for distilling that all down for us. It sounds like a monumental amount of work and quite a thing to, to keep your head wrapped around. So, um, yeah, thank you for your work doing that. And indeed to everyone at Upstraw and the School of Natural Building. What a great thing to have. And uh, and John said in his email also that he is really looking forward to uh, the other EPDs from the other countries because uh, he wants to see what they've done and compare i've I've already seen some promotion of this e p d which has just been focusing about how much carbon is stored or sequestered, which as John said it was you know it's it's not necessarily a great thing just to focus on that um and I've just seen a, a raging debate on twitter um about whether this is acceptable um to to say you can have a carbon negative building um because all the buildings are using carbon to create them yeah is it is it sort of potential greenwashing um yeah interesting question and one that i mean i felt that by saying we're sequestering all this this carbon and saying it's a really good thing we're just sort of kicking the the problem down the line Uh, and that was a question that i posed to chris magwood uh in his episode which is a great one you should check that out and his reply was that we need to be sequestering carbon right now so that we can sort out all the other things um it's sort of buying us a bit of time um and that was his justification which i definitely took on board i think yeah you know, there is absolutely no reason not to be building from quote natural materials it's definitely the best option but to say it is carbon negative. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky point. What What else to say? Oh, I was deeply touched when John updated his Twitter profile to include The Conduit of Geek. Might be one of my proudest moments of 2021. So, yeah, quick reminder, building sustainability community. Get on there, ask questions, tell me what a hash I made of the editing. Whatever you like. Um, I am keen for us to have a community and to um, sort of discuss things. Yeah, maybe you've got a a view on sequestered carbon and whether a building could be carbon negative. Um, Yep, that is about it. Thanks. As always, uh, please share the episode as much as you can. And if you've had a Spotify thing that says you listen to Building Sustainability Podcast in the top, definitely share that. Get more people listening. That's it. I hope that you're all doing really well and that you smile throughout this entire week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.